0: Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gooses and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey, 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 how's everybody doing? They are doing fantastic. I'm going to answer for them because they can't answer for themselves. I guess that is a good point. Why ask a question of an audience that cannot speak back? You know what? I'm sure at least one or two of them were sitting in their car going, I'm doing very good, Mike. Thank you for asking. That's a little disturbing, though,
1: so I don't know how I feel about that.
0: Well, you know, we've just crept into these people's homes and lives without them really realizing it.
1: By the way, I'm feeling a little bit of podcast fatigue because we did our regular podcast two weeks ago. I was on with Steve for the Gloomhaven versus Sword and Sorcery podcast last week. We had our very first YouTube live video event this past Tuesday. And yeah, I've just been, I feel like I've been talking podcasts a lot. It's great, but it's definitely a lot of work.
0: Yes, I wish I was there for all of those events. I have certainly been there for, I guess this will be my third out of the fourth though. Although I did sneak in a little bit late for that Q&A yesterday. All right, we're back to a more normal episode this week, though. It's just going to be the two of us. We do have some cool guests lined up for the next few weeks. This week, it's just going to be you and me, though, and we're going to be covering Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. And this comes from Rob, who emailed us at our mvpboardgames at gmail.com account. Thanks, Rob, and we're looking forward to breaking this down for you.
1: Yeah, and please, anybody who wants to talk, uh, feel free to email us. Again, mvpboardgames at gmail.com. And also, we now have Joy and Colin's Facebook. Facebook page. So if you look on Facebook for a one-stop co-op cast, I think is what it's named right now. You can subscribe over there, send us messages for games you'd like us to cover, and also uh, see some cool stuff. I got a cute picture of my son playing a uh, co-op game recently up
0: there, so go check it out. Yeah, we're gonna do a lot more streamlining and focusing of our social media accounts. So right now, I think the two we're gonna focus on is that Facebook page as well as our Slack channel. So if you wanna talk to us, get in a good discussion with us. Slack is is going to be the best place to do that. And if you want to see what we've been up to lately and into lately, Facebook's going to be a better place to just kind of cyber stalk us.
1: Yeah, so I am very excited to cover Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. And then after that, Peter was at Origins last week to meet with our publishers, but also to play some games. So he's going to chat a bit about some of the stuff he saw there and some of his experiences, which I haven't gotten to hear all about yet. So I'm very excited
0: for it. Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, let's get into Pathfinder so we can squeeze it all in. That's right. So, Peter, why don't you tell us a bit about the theme, and then I'll talk about the play of the game. Alright, so, for those of you who are not familiar with Pathfinder, it really was a branch off of Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition. It might have started before then. I, I guess you have more familiarity with the RPG system than I do.
1: But I'm pretty sure you're right that it's 3rd Edition, because 4th Edition went into, like, a much more board gamey set of powers that you could use different amounts of times per day or per encounter. So, I think Pathfinder was trying to fight against that and keep it a bit more classical, which is interesting because 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons goes much more back towards a 2nd and 3rd edition kind of a feel. So I'm not entirely sure why Pathfinder needs to exist now, but hey, I know a lot of people enjoy it. I've certainly played the RPG. I think you played in that game too, right, Peter, the time we played Pathfinder?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it really is Evolution 3.5 of Dungeons & Dragons is what a lot of people call it. So the reason I bring this up here during the theme is it is very much a and d themed game. Most of the monsters you'll recognize from D&D, the classes you'll recognize from D&D, the RPG really split directly... F- off of Dungeons & Dragons when they decided to go in a different direction for 4th edition. And so this is a card game, though, based on the role-playing game, just so we don't confuse you too much and make you think we're reviewing a role-playing game this week. This is a cooperative card game that plays from one to four players, and it does scale from one to four. There are ways to play it just by yourself using just one character, and then you can go all the way up to four characters and play in the same party. That is really the theme of it, though. I mean, the story itself unfolds as you play it. When you buy the base box, It does come with a three-mission mini campaign. You can also buy these six chapter packs and play out the whole first campaign of the game. So it is a game that builds on itself. And with that, Mike, why don't you just get into a brief overview of gameplay?
1: Well, and just real quick to add to the theme, the theme will change based on which core game you buy. Because unlike something like Arkham LCG, which has a similar kind of release uh, structure with a main game that starts off a campaign and then expansions that complete it from there... In Pathfinder, each of the core games is a standalone product, even though you can uh, mix and match them in some cases. So I think the original one is Rise of the Rune Lords. That's what I have the most experience with. But I also played a bit of Skull and Shackles, which is more of a pirate-themed one. Then I think there's also Wrath of the Righteous, which is, uh, I have not played that one, but I I take it a more like religious fighting demons kind of one. And I think there might even be an Egyptian one that I saw at the game store the other day. So you can kind of pick the theme that appeals to you the most.
0: Yeah, and we're mostly going to be talking about the base game today, the Rise of the Rune Lords, because that is the one, I, the only one I have any experience with.
1: Yeah, and I only played through the the core set of Skull and Shackles, whereas Rise of the Rune Lords I've gone through the entire campaign. So yes, definitely focus on the original core game. So the gameplay, you set up the game by building these decks by location, and the locations will tell you what kind of cards get shuffled into its encounter deck. So it might have X number of weapons that you could earn, and X number of enemies you might fight, and X number of traps. And what you do on your turn is you pick which location you want to move to, generally barring special things you can move wherever you want, and then you draw the top card of the deck, as simple as that, and if it's a positive card called a boon, then you can roll and use special abilities to try to earn that card and basically add it to your deck in a bit of a deck-building fashion. If it's a bane, a trap, or an enemy, then you will try to defeat them. And how you do all of this is very D&D-ish. You'll have a stat with a rating, so you'll have like a D6 die for strength or a D8 die for agility. And additional abilities might let you improve that. You might even discard cards or do things like that to make that better. And sometimes, other Other players can help you. And you'll have a target number, so it'll say you need to get at least a 10 in strength. You need to get at least a 15 in melee. And if you meet that, you either defeat the enemy, discarding them, or you gain the card into your hand for use uh, on future turns. And if you fail, often the card will get shuffled back in if it's a bad card for you to face again later. Or if it's a good card, it'll get taken out of the game for that mission, so you cannot earn it, so you miss your chance to earn it. And the objective of the game... Basically, you're encountering cards at the location until either you fight a henchman at the location, which is a kind of mini boss fight, or until you run out of cards at the location. And after you either defeat that henchman or run out of cards, you have a chance to close the location, which will again usually be a skill test. And when you close a location, what it means is the villain, which is in most scenarios, the one boss you're trying to beat, cannot go to that location anymore. And what you need to do is you need to trap the villain in a location and then defeat them to win the scenario again in most scenarios some do break that rule but that's the general play of the game you get to move you draw a card you either try to gain the card if it's good or defeat if it's bad and you uh work to close the locations and eventually trap that villain Now the one thing I haven't mentioned is that your character has a deck of cards that you are drawing from and that make your hand of cards and the deck is both your life so as you take damage you are discarding cards from the deck and if you run out of cards completely then you are taking out for that mission but also they comprise the weapons you can use the armor you can defend with if you're a spellcaster the spells you can cast and basically all the things you can do allies that you have with you and these are all the things that help you boost your roles or let you perform special actions and there is a limited amount of longer term deck building because you're gaining these cards as you play through the scenario, but your character is limited in the number of each type of card they can hold, and they do slowly level up. You actually have a character card that you can write on to show as you get these permanent upgrades as you progress through the campaign. So you might only be allowed to hold four weapons, but if you get a plus two sword of fire then you can get rid of your cruddy dagger and make the plus two sword of fire be your fourth weapon instead. So there is some uh, deck building and also a bit of a sort of legacy-ish campaign uh, building of your character up great thanks for that awesome overview mike that covers it really well i do my best peter so uh we're gonna get into our five things to know about pathfinder adventure card game we're gonna start with our lowest uh, least important but still interesting things about the game and get to our most important thing so peter why don't you start with your
0: number five So my number five is that characters feel somewhat unique. And I said somewhat, and I put it in there because it's a little bit of a pro and a con. Characters feel somewhat unique in the fact that they all can hold different amounts of each item. As you said, people's hand sizes are different. And that makes a difference because when you take damage in the game, let's say you're trying to reach a target number of 10 and you roll a six. That means to take damage, you have to discard four cards from your hand. Well, if you only have two cards in your hand, you're only discarding those two cards. So it makes a little bit of a difference in the less cards that you have in your hand the less life you can lose at a time. And also, everybody's deck size is different, so people are going to die at different rates as well. If they are certain classes, they use certain spells or items better. Certain people can use light armors, heavy armors better. Some people can't use those items at all. So there is a little bit of uniqueness to the characters, and they also have a special ability that they can do specifically that that one character can do. But it does get a little bit muddied, because a lot of the cards are the same. It is just roll a d6, roll a d8, plus one, plus two to your skill. And so while they feel somewhat unique, to some degree, it really boils down to the same kind of a system. And it's just having a little different number here, a little different number there. You know, I can't wholeheartedly say that characters feel super awesome in this and you feel like I am the warrior, I am the berserker. Certainly some characters feel different than others, but for the most part, they're unique, but I wish they were even more unique and felt more special.
1: Yeah, and I'll disagree with you a little bit because I think the difference between a fighter and a wizard in the game, for example, is pretty pronounced. The fighter is generally pretty consistent using the same weapon over and over again. The wizard has some spells that are really powerful, but then they have to kind of wait a little while to get those spells back. Uh, That being said, I'm going to discuss characters a little bit further up my list, so I'll save the rest of my thoughts for later cool so what's your number five Mike my number five is a negative and that is that I feel the narrative and the theme are both very weak and this is coming from someone who has played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and a little bit of Pathfinder RPG so and I have kind of two main complaints for why the narrative and theme are weak the first thing that's really weak is the way the narrative is actually presented and that is to say it is barely presented at all you look at something and this is a game I'm going to be comparing this to quite a bit because it's what I'm playing a whole a lot recently that has a lot of similarities. You look at Arkham Horror LCG, and they have paragraphs and paragraphs of narrative that really explain exactly what's happening. When you go into a location, they describe exactly what it looks like. This game has little to zero of that. And it really is kind of frustrating because I've gone online and I've seen... These adventures are based on actual adventure paths in the Pathfinder RPG. And in the actual adventure, they have all this backstory that explains who these villains are you fighting and why you're doing it. And everything kind of makes sense. An interesting thing to note is that the app of the game does have a much better narrative. It has dialogue that explains all this stuff. But if you're just playing the physical card game, you lose all of that. And there is basically no theme whatsoever. Besides having a guy's name, you have no idea what's going on or why you're doing anything. The other critique I have of the narrative and the theme is that... it actively encourages you the gameplay encourages you to do stuff that is totally not how an RPG works. The big things I'll point out is that you are actively encouraged to split your party up among multiple different locations except for a few characters that have uh, support powers. And you know everyone knows in RPGs that splitting your party is the kiss of death and it's something you never do. But here it is very rare in a three or four player game to ever have like characters together much which is just totally un-RPG for me. And the other thing is there there's very few mechanics where, and actually pretty much none, where somebody can step in for somebody else. So it's really frustrating when you do have people at the same location, let's say the fighter and the thief are both in the catacombs, and the fighter is the one who happens to draw the trap, and the thief is the one who happens to draw the big ogre, and you have no way to kind of like sub in for each other and help each other out with tests, even though it would thematically make sense if you were there together that you could. So you really feel like solo adventurers kind of running through your own hallways, which again is something that has never happened to me in any of the RPGs I've played of this theme. So looking for kind of a a game that replicates the feel of Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, I think this game, despite the theme it's supposedly after, actively goes against actually replicating that feel.
0: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you definitely very strongly on two points. Number one is I never knew much what was going on. Now, I will say that that happens to me a lot in games apparently, but (laughs) I definitely felt like it was convoluted. They really wanted you to like, guess at the theme, and it never really came together. It's almost like they're trying to tell a story, but they don't want to give you the punchline, and I kind of felt left out the whole time because of that. The other part of it was when you said you can't assist other people. There is an assist mechanism in the game, to be clear. Like, if you're at the same location, you can play cards on somebody else at your location, but it really doesn't feel like you're assisting them, and I haven't seen it done too often. Certainly, if there's a challenge that is particularly hard for your group, let's say you need to pass some kind of a wisdom test, And you have a fighter and a thief, like you were saying, certainly have both of them at the same location will help you pass that test because other people can play their cards on you to help you succeed with things you're weak at. But it never did really feel like you were working together to get through this challenge. It felt like someone was working at one place to get through one challenge. Somebody else was working at someplace else to get through another challenge. You really did need to split up so you could temporarily close those locations. So all the things you said, I I totally agree with.
1: All right, well, uh, what's your number four, Peter?
0: All right, so my number four is the chapter system that the game deals with. And I thought this was actually really unique and clever. So you start the game at the basic level chapter and you have basic level enemies, and you have basic level items. And as you go through the certain chapters, as you get to chapter one, you're going to add level one enemies and level one items into your decks. And as you go to level two, some of those basic things will go away, and you're adding level twos in. So unlike a game like Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, where you just keep adding and adding to the main pool of cards, in this game you're not only adding cards, but you're also taking them away. And I thought that did a really good job of giving you a sense of progression through the game. You weren't just getting the same items and the same monsters over and over. They leveled up as you were leveling up, and I thought that was pretty neat. That's a good call.
1: That that was in my honorable mentions. I do like the the numbering system, and some cards will base their difficulty on what number you're on, and some will not, so it does have kind of a cool mix of difficulties in those uh, cards. So my number four is more of a mixed one, and that is the amount of choice and luck mitigation you have in the game. So something that I'll compliment the game on is that... A lot of cards have dual uses, and it gives you somewhat interesting choices in luck mitigation. A great example are the weapons. Almost every single weapon will have a small bonus if you just reveal the card and put it back in your hand afterwards, and a much larger bonus if you discard the card, losing its use and forcing you to draw another card from your deck, which takes away from your life total. And I like that because you can make the call based on how tough the enemy you're facing is, based on how close you already are to the target number of whether or not you want to use the bigger effect or the smaller effect. And, you know, I I just like kind of mitigation in general, and I like hand management like that in general. Now, on the negative side of choice, though, I do feel when I'm playing the game that my choices are fairly limited and sometimes don't mean very much. So I can choose which location to go to, but beyond seeing what the location needs to close and beyond seeing uh, what mix of cards is there, I have no idea what I'm going to turn up, so I can't really tell who's going to be better at one location than another most of the time. And then also, in the majority of cases, it'll be pretty obvious how you'll tackle each thing you face. So if I'm a warrior and I have a sword in my hand, I'm going to use that sword on every enemy I fight. If I'm, uh, taking damage and I have armor in my hand, I'm going to use that armor and that damage. So, Although I do like the luck mitigation choices. I feel like they only come in for those big roles a couple of times every mission, like especially when you're fighting the villain, whereas most of the time I don't feel like I'm really making very many interesting choices in the game.
0: Yeah, no, I'm going to get into a lot of that coming up on one of my further points. So my number three is probably the biggest negative I have with the game. And to be fair, maybe it should have been higher up on my list, but... I think you mentioned this earlier, and it's certainly something I've heard a lot when you hear people who are negative on this game. This game really feels like you move to a location, you flip over a card, and you see what happens. And this was also one of my biggest complaints about Seventh Continent. Now, I'm not going to get into that here, but basically, I felt it was very similar where you're just moving someone, you flip over a card, the way you resolve all your skill challenges is the same, there's a target number you're trying to reach, whether it's a boon or a bane, And you just use different stats, which are different number of dice to roll, and you try to reach that number. Certainly, you can use the cards to mitigate that. And I do like those choices because I do think there's a little bit more in those choices than Mike does. Certainly, if it's as simple as fighting something, yes, you're probably going to always fight the same way. But you do have cards that you might discard for this one But you probably succeed anyway, so maybe you save it for your next one, which might be a little bit more challenging. But for the most part, it really just feels like you're moving to a location, flipping over a card, seeing what number you need to beat, and rolling that many dice and trying to beat it. So while there are choices, I do feel like there is a lot of randomness, and I think that's part of what you were putting into your last point as well is you don't feel like you have a lot of choice because you don't know what card you're flipping up. You don't know what kind of a challenge it's going to be, and you don't know who's going to best handle it. And then if you fail to defeat it, it gets shuffled back in the deck if it's a bad thing, and so you don't know if that's going to come up again right away or if it's not going to come up for a while, which is good for variety in the game, but at the same time, I feel like it's really just kind of rinse and repeating the same mechanics over and over.
1: Yeah, I'm going to talk about this a bit more later, specifically what you were talking about there. But I do want to point out that I disagree with you on Seventh Continent, and I think there's a major difference. So a thing with Pathfinder, because... uh, a lot of games have a consistent resolution system. You know, Arkham Horror LCG, you have to reach a certain number, you pull from the bag. Uh, RPGs, you, you know, have to reach a certain number, you roll your stat die. This game, you roll these dice. Seventh Continent, you draw from the deck. Like, I, I have nothing wrong with games having a consistent way of resolving tests. What I think Seventh Continent does well is that I hopefully have an idea of where my objective is and what I'm working toward, and I can choose how quickly or how slowly I work toward that objective and I can kind of determine my own pace and take risks. Arkham Horror LCG, same thing. I generally know, like, where I have to get or what kind of clues I have to get. I can ignore enemies and let them build up to try to reach my goals more quickly. The big thing that this game, I think, kind of has a problem with, and this is not on my list, but it just kind of responds to what you were saying, is that, sort of like Ghost Stories, you have no control over the pace of the game. You are always resolving one card a turn, and you are just waiting until the game tells you, hey, here's a henchman, or hey, you've finally gone through that deck or hey, the villain showed up. You have no way to speed up the game by taking more risks, except I guess... You can discard certain cards to explore a second time. But apart from that, you're just kind of surviving and dealing with stuff until the game says it's ready for you to actually progress in a meaningful way. And I think that's very different from something like Seventh Continent or Arkham LCG, where you have an objective that you can choose how quickly you want to pursue it. Here, you're just uh, wasting time.
0: Yeah, and I do think there is a little bit more variety in that, but I'm going to get into that with my number two. So why don't you go ahead and get into your number three?
1: So my number three, this is my only full, totally positive pro for the game. But it doesn't mean I hate the game. I I have some mixed feelings on it, as I'll talk about later. But my number three is I really like the way the deck is manipulated and the different straightforward terms they have. So for those who haven't played the game, cards will often refer to the idea of revealing a card, which means just showing it, or discarding a card, putting it in your discard pile, or burying a card, which means it goes underneath your character card and you can't use it again for this entire scenario, or banishing a card where a card is removed entirely, and then my personal favorite, recharging a card which means you put it on the bottom of your deck, but it could come back later to help you out again. And I love how with just these, I guess it's five or six different little mechanics, they get a lot of really cool varieties of abilities for characters and for items and for enemies, and it leads to some pretty interesting deck manipulation as you try to keep yourself alive, try to get your best cards coming back, and do all these cool things. Like, for example, pretty much every spell in the game will have a roll you can make to recharge the spell so that it will come back later as you dig through your deck. So most wizards are casting spells and slowly cycling through their spell book, and it just feels really good and does get a little bit of the theme in there as well. So I really like the straightforward, very simple way they use just a few mechanical terms to do some really interesting
0: stuff with your deck. Yeah, I totally agree. That's actually my number two also. I put cool item in health system. And I agree. I love how those Some items recharge, you know, when you have armor, that's how armor works. You recharge it by putting it on the bottom of your deck, and usually it saves you from discarding a certain number of cards. And again, reminding you that your deck is your life in this game. So as you're discarding cards, you're getting closer and closer to getting defeated in the game. Now, when one character gets defeated, the whole party's not out, but it, there is player elimination. And that player is going to be out for the rest of the mission. So it's certainly neat how they do that life system. And even the healers will take cards from your discard pile, shuffle them back in your deck. And so. I love how that all works together. And I really think they do a very good job of making items unique just with those very few things, as you said a minute ago. So I'm going to totally agree with you on that. The one thing I will kind of get back to now, though, is the blessing cards. I like the way that they work as well and help with the pacing of the game. So most blessing and ally cards that you have can be discarded, again, weakening your life, getting rid of it forever, to let you basically take a second turn in a row. So you do have a little bit more control of the of the pacing than we may have made it sound like earlier in the game. Certainly if you have no allies and blessings in your deck, you don't have a choice at that point. But I think it's interesting how in certain games, and maybe even player counts, sometimes you want to push harder and do two or three blessings in a row, even though you're weakening yourself for the long term, you're really getting through that deck faster and maybe closing that location faster. And sometimes you just kind of want to sit back, do your one thing on the turn, even though you may have blessings, you may want to save them to help you, because they also can help you with your tests. So I just like the way the cards have multi-uses in the game. The negative, of course, for me is I hate cards with a lot of text on it. So a lot of times cards will have two or three different effects and you may have anywhere from four to six cards in your hand. It's a little bit much to keep track of until you get to know the cards really well. But for me, I really do like how you do have the choices for those cards, even though a lot of times it might be obvious what you're gonna do.
1: Yeah, and I do want to say, I forgot to say this in the gameplay overview. The timer for the game, besides your characters potentially being defeated, is there's a deck of blessing cards, and each player draws one card on their turn, and that's the timer for the game. And when that deck runs out, you lose the mission and you have to try it again. So that's why you might want to rush exploring a location by discarding allies or blessings to kind of get through it more quickly. All right, so my number two, we've already touched on a bit, and it is another mixed one and that is the deck building and character progression and kind of character diversity. Again, like I said, I do think the characters do feel pretty different. One of my favorites is uh, Linny, who's able to transform into an animal and also uses animal allies for consistent bonuses every single turn. She feels very different than uh, the fighter who can break his weapons over people and have them recharge instead of being discarded. So I do think they got some pretty good differences in the characters. I will say though, if you're looking for a deck builder, this game has such slow progression and such minor changes of your deck from scenario to scenario that you are not going to get a good feel here. It does remind me a lot of Arkham LCG in a negative way. One of the knocks against Arkham is that even as you level up you sometimes won't see those cards in the game. And even when you do, the bonuses they get are sometimes only minorly different than the cards you're replacing as you kind of level up and gain experience. And you have the same thing here, but I think it's even worse. The difference between a plus one sword or ...or a not plus one sword is very minor. The difference when you level up your character permanently... ...and get plus one to one of your statistics... ...is going to come into play a very, very small number of times. And there's also a bigger problem that you'll see... ...if you get into the fourth and the fifth and the sixth chapter packs... ...when you get really late scenario... So the difficulty checks keep on going up to keep the game a challenge but the thing is your characters tend to only majorly progress in a few stats that matter the most to them. Usually they're ones that are tied to combat. So the fighter is going to only boost their strength. The wizard is going to only boost their intelligence. If you don't, you can't defeat the strongest enemies like the villains. But the problem is in the early scenarios you're able to defeat kind of generic challenges. Sometimes, especially when you spend some blessings. So even though I'm a fighter. I still might be able to beat that intelligence challenge if I get some help from my friends But late game that becomes totally impossible because your characters become more specialized I'm only really good at strength checks You're only really good at agility checks and the items and the helpings aren't really enough to balance that So you get into this weird thing which I only really felt again in my in the final like ten scenarios or so where my characters feel kind of terrible Because anything that is not focused on what they're good at, they fail at horribly. Like, my fighter has no chance of dodging that trap. My fighter has no way to dispel that ghost. Whereas in the early scenarios, I feel like everyone can kind of be a jack-of-all-trades if somebody helps them out. In late scenarios... I can be totally lost if I draw the wrong card. And again, it makes it more frustrating that you can't help each other out more and that you are at the mercy of whatever card you draw on top. So you're not going to see this as a problem until you get really late game into it. And by then, you've probably gotten your money's worth if you've played, you know, 20 or 30 scenarios. But it is worth noting that I do think the game suffers a lot from balance issues for the characters as you get into the later scenarios.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought about, but I totally agree. All right, so what's your number one, Peter? So my number one, and anybody who knows me knows that I love this mechanic, and it's not the best in this game, but it is something that I think this game brought to the genre, and a lot of games before it hadn't done, and I think it paved the way for games like Arkham LCG and other LCGs where you're carrying things from mission to mission, and that is, you know, you do get this permanent progression. Yes, it may be slow, And yes, some missions you'll get three new cards for your deck and other missions you won't get anything. And yes, I really do have a hard time deciphering whether 3d4 is better than 2d12 for a test. I mean, it's it's not always very clear. It's like, is d6 plus one better or is d8 better? I, I don't know. But I like how you get to make those choices for yourself, and I like how you get to take those with you from mission to mission. And a lot of times you won't lose them permanently, and so your character does feel like it's getting at least a little better after each mission. Unlike other games where if you fail, you don't get anything, here you're at least going to get some new items and things to add to your deck potentially, even if you don't complete the mission the first time through. And so it doesn't feel as bad to play through it a second time because my character has still progressed.
1: Yeah, and I'll disagree a little bit, as I said, with my number two, because I've had many missions where even if I won the mission, I'll have gotten basically nothing because all the cards I got were already the same as or worse than the cards already in my deck. So I sometimes had zero progression in the course of a mission, which I found a little bit frustrating.
0: All right, so what's your number one?
1: So my number one is uh, going back to something you said earlier, but for me, it was much higher on my list. Clearly, it was my number one thing. And that is that the scenarios are very repetitive and the gameplay is very repetitive. So this is a big con for me. This is why I traded my copy of the game away. The scenarios are repetitive. Now, I will say that perhaps they have fixed this in the later sets. Skull and Shackles did seem to have a little bit more variety in the scenarios I played. But in the end, most of the scenarios boil down to tracking down a villain and and closing locations. And as I already said, I find that a pretty unsatisfying mechanic because it does just involve you waiting in some cases and not actually being able to really actively do anything. You just have to experience these cards. So I don't really love the scenarios overall, especially when I see great dungeon crawlers or games like Arkham Horror LCG that have amazing scenario design. I feel like this game is just really lagging behind in terms of like a narrative card game and what it can do. And then the gameplay itself, as Peter already mentioned, is Pretty repetitive... I did say I don't mind resolution systems where, like, I have to roll a die or I have to pull a chit or anything like that, but this one has more problems than the average because most games will be a consistent thing. Like, in Arkham Horror, the actual game, not the LCG, or Eldritch Horror, I roll a certain number of d6s, I'm looking for this number, pretty quick to resolve. In Arkham Horror LCG, I pull a chit, I add it to my total, pretty quick to resolve. In this one, especially late game, you'll sometimes be adding four or five or six different Dice to a roll, and they'll be of different types, so D4s, D6s, D8s, D10s, D12s, and you'll have to add them together to add up to numbers that are like 30 or 40, and, and again, this is a late scenario, so it gets worse, but it takes a while, it is not a nice streamlined system, and again, it's a little bit odd, because in the actual games that this is basing it on, like D&D and Pathfinder, generally everything's resolved with just a D20, I guess damage from items will sometimes involve multiple dice. But even then, they're usually the same type of die. So it's like the spell does 66 and you got to add them together. So it is frustrating that not only is the gameplay repetitive, but the way that you resolve tests, especially late game, becomes very time consuming and fiddly to kind of deal with. It's definitely a frustration and, again, was a big reason why I got rid of my copy of the game.
0: All right. So final thoughts here. I'm going to be a little lukewarm on the game, I think, just based on your number one and, well, your whole list, really, that you'll probably feel the same, if not worse, than I do. I do like games where you progress from mission to mission, and I know it's not huge progression, but I do think this is one of the earlier ones to do that in a very simple system where you literally just take your character deck after you're done playing and put it away. I always looked forward to playing the next mission to progress my character, whether, you know, we got through the story or not. Certainly, I felt like I wanted to get through the story quicker, but I I always like games where you're getting new stuff and you get stuff to add to your deck and you can kind of change your deck up, but yet it's not overly complicated, right? I have three items to choose from. I got to keep two of them. There's not a whole lot of thinking there, but at the same time, I feel like my deck is changing from mission to mission, but the repetitive nature of each mission, the repetitive nature of the quest, I did feel like I was doing the same thing over and over, and after a while it got old for me. So for me, it is a neat system. I'm glad that it came around because I do feel like it paved the way for Arkham and other LCGs that have followed afterward or even just card games that have followed afterward. I think it's one of the first ones that had this progression from mission to mission, the easy save system. Uh, I mean, even something like Seventh Continent, I I think, owes something to Pathfinder and how easy it was to, you know, kind of build this thing and save it between missions. For that fact, if nothing else, it's pretty cool. I think a lot of the problems we had with the game show up later and after multiple repeated plays. So I do think it's a cool game to check out and certainly play through a couple missions of.
1: Yeah, and I'll pretty much support everything you said there. I was super high on this game for my first probably 10 to 15 plays. But the more I played it, the more the repetitiveness bothered me. And the more I got into later scenarios, the more I kind of saw flaws in the core design and balance of the game. I will say if you want to play it, I strongly recommend you play the app. You can try it out for free and uh, just pay once you want to get to later scenarios. And like I said, the app actually adds back in the narrative that is missing and the story will make a lot more sense. The app handles the calculation of the numbers. So a lot of my cons kind of fall away if you're playing with the app. And I agree with you, Peter, hundred percent. This game definitely was innovative. It, it, made a major difference in gaming and has led to the design of many of the games I love. That being said, I see no reason to buy this game. I see no reason to play this game. Even on the app, I think there are much better options. Arkham LCG is amazing. If you want a fantasy setting, do the Warhammer card game or wait for the new upcoming Terranoth card game that's based on the same system. If you want to play a dungeon crawler, play Gloomhaven, play, play Descent 2nd Edition, play Imperial Assault. Either of those with the app are great. Um, or just play an actual RPG. I, I think this game has been overshadowed by the games that came later that later that are better designed. And at this point I don't see much reason for anybody to have it in their collection. Sorry to be harsh, but I just think its i think it's been replaced. I think it, it had its day. It made some great mechanics that others have built on and improved. But I think this game is too flawed when compared to its competitors to really be worth recommending. So I do not recommend
0: this game. And again, for us, this is also mostly the first set. We don't know if some of the later sets have fixed some of the problems we've had with the game. Absolutely, absolutely. And so maybe some of the more recent sets have changed some of these things, these negatives we're talking about. But we're mostly talking about Rise of the Rune Lords here today.
1: Yes, so if you do know about much better gameplay that came out in the later expansions, feel free to uh, let us know on Facebook or email us or find us on any of the social medias. And we'd love to hear about it because I don't like disliking games and I'd love to be proven wrong at least for
0: later games in the series again i think rise of the rune lords definitely has the problems we've discussed and if you disagree with us join the slack channel and yell at us there and there are a bunch of people that'll get involved in the conversation both of us included and who knows maybe even colin and steve disagree with us i'm sure we'll continue this discussion online throughout the week absolutely all right so you want to get into origins discussion yeah, well, you're you're taking the lead for that, Peter, so tell us about some
1: stuff that happened with Origins, and I will give my reactions or ask questions, but you were the one there, so I'm curious to hear.
0: The first full day of the convention, I guess, was Wednesday for me, and I only ended up playing two games. I ended up playing Lightseekers, which is a collectible card game. I did a demo of that, and it was Pretty fun. I mean, it's certainly uh, modeled after games like Hearthstone. And uh, that one is actually coming to digital implementation. One of the interesting things they're doing is you can buy physical cards, you can take pictures of them with your camera on your phone or whatever, and it will take that card and put it. Onto your digital implementation as well. And every card is unique. So if you had like an imp and another imp, even though they were the same, they would actually have different card IDs on them. So those two imps would be different. So you can't just take, you know, 10 pictures of one imp card and get. Ten versions of it. Need to, <laughs> you need to take pictures of each of them, so that that was kind of interesting.
1: So, uh, what what else did you play besides uh, Lightseeker?
0: So, I played two games. One of which will be more interesting to our co op audience, but I played a game called Ginkopolis, and this is not a co op game. You would actually probably totally hate this game. <laughs> well, let's hear about it then. And I mean, there is a theme to the name, I guess. You like this ginkgo tree is still around, and like you're building a metropolis around it. But let me tell you, there were no gameplay mechanics that had the ginkgo tree in there at all. I really don't know why it was part of the name of the game. Uh, But it was very, very Euro in its mechanisms. Do you at Uh, least
1: feel like you're building a city? Because that would be okay.
0: Yeah, you kind of feel like you're building a city together. So there are basically these four different types of districts you're trying to build. It's really more of an area control, like you're trying to get sets of things together. There are four different colors, and you're trying to get light colors next to each other. And if you have light colors next to each other, they're, you'll score based on the number of pawns on it, and it also depends on the level. So you can build outward like Carcassonne with this tile placement, or you can build up on top of other tiles that are already there. As you're building up, instead of putting one of your pawns on it, you put two. And so then you look at all the light-colored tiles that are next to each other, so if there are four blue tiles next to each other, and you see who has the most pawns, and that person gets one point for each of the pawns that are on all those blue tiles that are next to each other. And then whoever's in second place gets points just for their pawns that are on top of it. So if you have something that's four high in this blue thing, you're going to have four pawns on top of it, Where somebody else may have a two high and another two high. And so you'd both have four pawns in that little area. And then tiebreakers, whoever has the highest tower in there. And you're getting special powers as you go along. As you build up, you add new things to your engine. And so as you take certain actions, they become more powerful. Very, very Euro, though. Very area control. But... It was simple enough that, you know, I actually kind of liked it, and you could do things to, like, break up other people's big areas and try to make it so they don't score as many points. It was very interesting for that kind of city-builder Euro game.
1: Yeah, I did find myself falling asleep a little bit during that explanation, but, you know, I'd give it a try. (laughs) For those who don't know, uh, Euros with zero theme or very little theme are... Usually tough sells for me. It it takes a special kind of euro for me to really enjoy it. I, I tend to go pretty strongly after theme, and if I don't see it... Uh, But I mean, the the, the building up of towers sounds kind of cool. That sort of reminds me of Lords of Vegas a little bit, maybe, so that's okay, I guess.
0: I mean, I found the mechanisms very interesting. Did I know what the theme was behind every action I took? Absolutely not. It was very Euro in that way. I found the gameplay very interesting, and a lot of the Euro fans I talked to really love that game and are waiting for it to get reprinted.
1: Okay. So how about the the co-op one you had mentioned?
0: So the co-op one is a game called Holding On. It is a game about a patient who who has had a basically a major heart attack on a plane rind from Australia to London. And they're basically on their deathbed. And you are playing the staff of the hospital that they arrive at, trying to not only keep this patient alive, but also they they're kind of trying to tell you a story. So you're not only working on their physical health and trying to maintain the patient as long as possible, but really the goal is to get the story out of this patient. It's like any other person's life. You know, everybody has interesting stories with their lives, and you're finding out the interesting story of this one person, Billy Kerr's life. So it is a very Euro co op game. You are basically deciding for three shifts throughout the day morning, afternoon, and night who you want to send on those shifts. And whoever's on those shifts, kind of there's a leader for each shift. They get to decide what they want to do for that shift. So they can decide whether to make sure he's comfortable and keep his life up, or they can talk to him and let him tell his story, which is really what he's trying to do. So you kind of have to balance the two things. The game forces you to want to get that story out faster, and that's how you win the game, but at the same time, you do have to do enough care to him to make sure that you, he's maintaining.
1: Wow, it's, it's such a fascinating theme. I had not heard of this game until you mentioned it.
0: Yeah, and so what I ended up having to do was uh, Michael Fox, who was on the Little Metal Dog Show podcast for years, he did an interview show. It was a great podcast if you haven't heard it, I mean, he has hundreds of episodes out there to listen to. And they're still all out there, I'm sure. But he isn't, you know, keeping up to date with it anymore. It's his design. He did it, designed it with Rory from Rory Stories Cubes. It's got a kind of cool pedigree behind it as well.
1: But you're not telling your own story, right? There is like a pre-scripted story that Billy's trying to tell you throughout
0: the game. Exactly. So you're trying to find out what his story is. And so there are 10 chapters to the game and each of them works very similar to a game like A Pirate's Tale or one of those games where you're going to make one or two rule tweaks. Your goal might be different at the end of the game. You might be doing different things, but the basic mechanics are the same. So the basic mechanics are if you choose to talk to him, you're going to get like one or two cards to add to this display in front of you. And it talks about five different times of his life. So there are these like five different stories. So along those stories, you're going to get Six different pictures into that timeline, and they're going to go in a very specific order. So, this is like the early life of Billy, and this is part one, two, three, four, five, and six of that. Now, when you first talk to him, you just get these kind of fuzzy memories, and you'll see a picture of Billy, and he'll be somewhere on the card, but you don't get the whole picture. But later on, as you press him even further, there's another mechanic for that, then you get this clear picture of what that memory actually was. And so as you're getting these fuzzy memories though, he'll have a quote to go along with it. And then you'll kinda get this picture. And you're building this map, I guess, or this area in front of you. It's like a five by six grid that all these memories are going in. And you know, as you get clear memories, they kinda this the story starts to unfold. So there's a little bit of storytelling, but it's very much You're filling in the details of what you think's going on, because it doesn't really become clear, certainly in the earlier chapters.
1: That sounds really... I'm interested in that. The the only part that kind of gives me some pause is, uh, did it feel weird at all in the game to, like, feel like you're giving him substandard medical care just to kind of pump him for information as it were.
0: Yeah, and the way they described it, because I did bring that up, is you're taking care of his mental health. So it's not only taking care of his physical health, but you're this is like, he wants to get this story off his chest. Like, he needs to do this. Like like he's living with guilt or something? Yes. And you, you kind of get that feeling as he's going. Like, a lot of the quotes you read on the fuzzy memories are very much, oh, I wish I had done this. You know, now I'm going to have a chance to correct it you know those kind of like mistakes you make in life he felt like he was definitely trying to get that story off of his chest okay
1: that, that that sounds better
0: the weird thematic disconnect for me is how this guy had a heart attack on a plane and he's like dead to the point where like you know he's gonna die but he's able to tell along like like yeah but he's telling this story like it's kind of weird like i don't think of people who have heart attacks like I either think of them dropping dead when you have a heart attack or you know being able to live with that for a while until you get you know heart surgery whatever else. It's kind of weird that it's like, oh, he got a heart attack and you know he's going to die. And now he's just trying to get this, you know, this last story out. That part was a little strange to me. Like maybe they're going to explain it more later. And the only other part I was a little bit hesitant on with it was they said there's a memory element to the game. So the way these memories come out are in a specific order. And from talking to one of the designers, it sounded like you kind of needed to remember that order later.
1: Later, like in a future play like in a
0: future chapter of the game right like like later on it's not going to be so obvious what the order is and you're gonna have to remember somehow what that order was i thought that was kind of weird because you know as well as i do we'll put games down for three to six months at a time and how are you going to remember three to six months later the order so they did describe a little bit of a memory element to the game and so that gave me a little bit of pause too unless you of course you're going to binge it which hey I mean, the game wasn't long, right? It would probably be 10 hours of total play. Each chapter seems like it's about an hour. Now, I don't know. I only played chapter one, right? So chapter five, you know how some games keep adding things. Sure. I did ask and they said they not only added stuff, but they did take stuff out as well. With that, certainly there could be um, differences in gameplay lengths as it goes on, but I'm guessing 10 to 12 hours. Assuming you beat it, right? Because if you fail, you're going to have to replay through the mission again. Now, I do think the mechanics are interesting enough to warrant that. You know, it's not a game like some of these dungeon crawls where you play it and then you feel like you're kind of doing the same thing again. It has more of a Euroe, and I know this isn't going to be good to you, but a pandemic feel to it in a way that you know, you could play Pandemic five or six times and you're going to get five or six different experiences when you play it, especially if you ramp up the difficulty at the appropriate level, right?
1: But I do assume in sort of a legacy-ish kind of way or like an unlock, you know, escape room kind of way, once you've experienced the entire story, there's not going to be much
0: reason to go back, at least with that particular group, right? Yes and no. I I do think it stands alone. The mechanics are good enough to stand on its own and they did say when you complete the campaign, you can keep just playing chapter 10 again if you wanted to, which is kind of like the final chapter of the book. Now, I mean, you're not going to get those story elements the way you did in the first one. And and I'd be curious to play it again, because those fuzzy memories you're getting are going to be the same from game to game. So the question becomes like, will you even care about reading those quotes out loud anymore? And will those pictures matter to you as much anymore once you've already seen them once? And I can't answer that question. I mean, I certainly think it's worth checking out for sure. The buzz on the game was pretty good. Everybody seemed to like it that played it. And I liked it myself. I only played it as a two player. It was just the designer and I. Before then, he was running two games, you know, with basically eight people playing, four on each game. And everybody seemed to have a good time in those games.
1: Now, I'm absolutely interested in it. And, you know, for me, somebody who trades and sells games actively, it's not a big deal if it's kind of. Done after ten plays. I mean heck, we save us a lot, but how many games do you get ten plays out of these days?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I certainly think it's worth looking into. I mean, even a Pirate's Tale, like that was a fifty dollar game with a a very cutesy part, you know, components to it, and I'm enjoying playing it and even replaying missions that we fail you know, even though that's got a limited shelf life, I'm sh- certainly enjoying every play I have of it. So something like this wouldn't bother me at all because I, I feel like it's the same kind of thing.
1: Cool. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Do you have any idea when that's uh, coming out for sale?
0: SN this year. Oh, so okay. end of the year. So October, November timeframe. Yeah, well, I'll definitely put it on my list. It's, it's very cool. That, that was the last thing I did or last game I played. We ended up playing our most recent game with the publisher that night. They loved it. I mean, all the changes we've had to it they were really really happy with even some of the hesitations the developer had when we played it with them he really enjoyed the direction we took with it and thought we made the right direction I asked for feedback you know are we heading in the right direction Are the things you want us to change before we move on because we are making a campaign style game And we're through three of the nine missions that we want to build out for the game. But we want to make sure that we're at least heading in the right direction. Or if there were changes, we made them now because, you know, those things kind of cascade throughout the campaign as we go on. And they were happy with where it was. And everybody who played and watched, I mean, we had a big group of people watching the playtest, which was kind of interesting. So and, and everybody thought it looked really cool. So, you know, as a designer, it feels really good when you playtest your game. It's a little nerve-wracking to do it in front of an audience, but when it goes really well, it feels really good at the end. I'm super excited about how the game is
1: going and the work we've done so far and really looking forward to being able to talk in much greater detail about it on this podcast and get people playing it and get their feedback and everything.
0: Yeah, overall, it was a really good Origins. Then drove back for my daughter's birthday, which was that Friday of Origins. It was a busy birthday week, but it was a really good convention as well that's great man well
1: thanks again for going and taking time away from the family for that while i was here with my family yeah
0: and i mean i hope this was you know interesting for people i hope it was entertaining i guess you got a second little review of holding on there certainly not one of our deep dive reviews but a little bit of insight on what i thought about it hopefully that was useful for everybody
1: yeah so everyone thanks for checking us out and have
0: a great uh, week everybody Thanks for joining us for another episode of co Cast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-Op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop co Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Oh, cyber
1: stalking—the pastime of many. Well, you know, it's better than actual stalking. You've always been famous to me.
0: Well, good. I, you know, having one fan and having it be your partner—I guess—is the way the way to go. <laughs> That's all you really need in life. I don't even remember much about it <laughs> now that, like, we get to it.
1: Well, that's a very good side.
0: <laughs> hey, Mike. Yes. I'm saving some of the good stuff for next show. Like, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>